Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is God's word. Uh, dear, dear Father, thank you so much that we can gather today, that we can sit under your word that has been freely gifted to us, Lord. We're so thankful that we have access to it and that we can know you through it, that we can have a relationship uh, with you through it. We're so thankful, Lord, that uh, today as we uh, sit under the, the word of Jonah, Lord, that we will be able to hear what it means to know you as our God who's, who's big and who's uh, merciful and loving. And we pray that as we uh, hear today as your church or, or as people here who don't know you yet, Lord, I pray that you'll help us uh, not only get to know you, but also respond to you and want to live uh, a life that is in worship of you. So I do pray for that now in your son's precious name. Amen. Uh, there's an interesting phenomenon in the world, I think, um, which many of us know as cancel culture. Uh, it, it's come up in the last few years, um, particularly, and if you don't know what it means, it's a phrase, cancel culture, that describes the culture of uh, ostracizing people, so silencing them, um, canceling them because of their actions, their thoughts, their speech, and, and their, their, all their actions that aren't in line with the majority of our world of people. Uh, and the, one who gets, the ones who get canceled are usually those who have some sort of status right, in society, a public figure, a celebrity perhaps, uh, and, and much of the time it has been for good reason, especially when it comes to actions that have caused uh, abuse of some sort of form, uh, and the punishment is quite severe. You've, if you've kept up with the news, there are celebrities that lose job opportunities, they lose uh, contracts, they get cancelled, agents and managers don't want to work with them anymore. And, and the world, we call it justice. We call it justice that these, uh, these people out there who are abusing others uh, are cancelled and they lose their jobs because that's what they deserve. That's what we as a society have done, cancelled culture. We've cancelled them. But as I look into this idea of cancel culture and what I've seen over the last few years is sometimes there are instances where this idea is not so black and white, where those people in positions of influence and others, um, sometimes they're just sharing their opinion like any other human being 
and sometimes they get cancelled. Uh, a great example of this is um, that author of the Harry Potter books, J.K. Rowling. She went on to Twitter and she talked about what a woman is. She shared her opinion on what a woman is. And she got slammed for it. She got destroyed. So many people cancelled her because of her opinion of what a woman is. This is crazy. I don't think she deserved it at all. I don't think it was just. But for some reason, those with the loudest voices in society have become judge and jury to decide who gets cancelled and who doesn't. It's scary. And as a pastor, right, and sometimes having a bit of a public platform, yeah, our sermons are online, at least people uh, can listen to it. I'm not going to lie, I sometimes have to be super careful and sometimes uh, be aware of what I'm saying. Sometimes I'm not careful and I get in trouble for that. But when you get cancelled, more often than not, you're not coming back from that. There's no redemption. There's no salvation. The public's opinion of you has changed. And unless you go through some sort, of, some sort of televised court hearing, for example, to expose all your lies, reluctant prophet gives him mercy to live another day. Chapter 3, verse 1. I love what this says. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God doesn't give up on people so easily, does he? I'm so sure, I'm, I'm, I'm so sure many of us feel that way in this room. All of us, we've at some point run away from God at times. And, and doesn't God just keep showing up, calling us back to him? Like how many times, like the second time, third time, 17th time, 57th time? Uh, in the 17 years of being a Christian for myself, I know there's multiple times God has just keep calling me, has called me back to him. And he should have abandoned me a long time ago. He should have abandoned Jonah. But this is the goodness of God's character. He doesn't, he doesn't say, do all these things, follow my laws perfectly, and then I'll come to you, dance for me. <laughs> While we're called to do good in this world, it's not our moralism and good works that appeases God's anger and wrath. He initiates with us. That's the goodness. We're already seeing in the first verse. He's good. He gives Jonah this second chance. He reaches out to him in his mess and says, go. Gives him the same message. What do we hear in chapter 1? In the very first verse of chapter 1, he came to Jonah and he said, Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against us because its weakness has come up before me. Chapter 3, verse 2, go. Go to the great city of Nineveh, great city of Nineveh. Proclaim, it to, the, proclaim to it the message I give you. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city, that great city again. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And here we go. Jonah's there. He's, he's made it. He's finally made it to the destination God wanted him to go. The large city. It's three days to walk through it. That's how big this city is. It's no small task. One day in, he's there, and he's probably tired now. He doesn't want to get to the center to tell everyone. He's like, okay, I've made it this far. I'm going to start telling people 40 days. 40 days. Nineveh will be overthrown. He's, and you can sort of feel it. Like this, this message is sort of lazy. It's like it, if you read the Hebrew, the, the original language, these words, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's only five words in the Hebrew. That's how lazy he is. Like He's just like, 40 days, Nineveh will die. Like that's it, if it was in English, right? That's, that, that's the message. It's so plain and clear. It's like the lazy abridged version of what God intended, I, I imagine. right? So far, we, we know that that's sort of Jonah's character. He's this reluctant, dragging his feet to Nineveh. His heart still... In chapter 4, we hear more about... We'll hear about that next week, but we hear more about his reluctancy. Instead, he's here, he's telling Nineveh what God wants them, like, 40 days, you're dead. Nineveh will be overthrown, destroyed, that's it. Do you think this is a, a good strategy 
I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, he's in enemy territory, and he's going to tell them that you're all going to die. I imagine um, if you guys have walked through the city at times and you see those street preachers, they're ringing bells, they're on soapboxes, they've got these big signs, repent or you'll face the fires of hell, turn or burn. Have you ever seen those guys, uh, people out there who, who bring that message to people? It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, a lot uncomfortable. Uh, as a Christian, I feel a lot uncomfortable about that. You know, I, I, there was one time in Sydney, I was in the, uh, the mall in Sydney, Pitt Street Mall, and we ran into a friend uh, who I was at Bible college with. We ran into one of them. With, I think Heidi was with us too. And he had these signs, and we actually approached this person and said, do you think this is, do you think this is working? You know, and, and we talked, got talking, and then he started telling my friend to repent. And I was just like, what is going on? How did he just twist that onto, like, it was really interesting, right? And it, it goes, this, whole, this approach, it really, it goes against all this, the strategies, right, on, on how we tell our friends about Jesus, honestly. Uh, at church here, at Providence, I often do workshops with some of you guys. We sit down, we go, how do we tell our friends about Jesus? How do we reach our friends in a relevant, understanding, loving, gentle, caring way? How do we tell them about Jesus? Emphasize caring, loving, gentle, right? Would anyone give us the time of day if I'm coming at them and telling them they're going to go to hell? As my opening line. I don't think I'd appreciate that. We want to be loving and gentle and gracious because the message we bring is one of gentleness, love, and grace and kindness. Jesus wants us to turn to him not out of fear, but because of his love for us. Turn or burn? Man, that's super unhelpful. Jonah doesn't even call them to turn, though, does he? He doesn't even call them to repent. He just pronounces judgment on them. 40 days, you'll burn. <laughs> Jonah's approach is what you don't do. It's what you don't do to get people to hear the good news of Jesus or the good news of God. Yet at the same time, it's, there's part of it that's, that's still true, isn't it? Part of that message is still true. It's part of the message I'm sure God wanted him to bring speak against their wickedness. You know, Assyria, Nineveh, they were a super violent nation. They're the ones who actually came up with the idea of crucifixion before the Romans, putting people on a cross to kill them. And maybe we don't have the full story here. Maybe the record here that Jonah has for us, he didn't write the whole full sermon down, he just gave us the abridged version. I don't know. But what we do know is God can't tolerate wickedness. He won't allow sin to flourish. And those who have chosen to sin will be held to account. There will be judgment. There will be punishment. You know, this actually tells us something about God. He is holy. There's this violent, wicked nation. He won't tolerate that. Punishment will come. They'll be destroyed. But it's not death that they should be afraid of. It's, it's what we call hell. Uh, it's the separation from everything good God offers to us and being under his righteous wrath. I don't want to sugarcoat this. Hell is the just judgment of God on people who choose to reject their creator because of sin the rejection and breaking of our relationship between us and God because of sin that's what we deserve we choose a life without God God gives us over to that that hell idea is just a separation from him I, I, I don't think it's as simple as saying turn or burn or calling it an eternal fire although that is one of the metaphors the Bible uses. yes but we also know that the eternity is more than that. Eternity devoid of anything good. An eternity devoid of love, joy, and peace, because that's everything God is. The message sounds harsh. But isn't the, the message behind cancel culture just as harsh? We, we take judgment into our own hands, and the culture blacklists you for your beliefs and your opinions. You lose respect, opportunity, status, and voice, effectively silenced when you get canceled. Why do we think God is harsh? He pronounces judgment on people who reject him. Isn't that fair? 
The same people who were created by him, loved by him, they respond with disrespect and rejection and spitting in the face of their creator. He has every right to cancel us, to call us to account if that's how we choose to live. You see, the concept of hell is essentially the path people choose. Now, Nineveh is hearing this message. Forty days, you'll be doomed. How do they, do, how do they respond? It's unexpected. What happens is there's a full revival in this city. Verse 5, let's read. He, te- he says this message, and then verse 5, the Ninevites believe God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is a proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. It's so instantaneous, isn't it? Right? All of them believe God. What did they all do? Verse 5, they all put on sackcloth. Verse 6, the king heard and he took off his royal robes and covered himself in sackcloth. In verse 8, let people and even animals be covered in sackcloth. Put on sackcloth. Symbol, it's a symbol of rep- repentance. What do you think of when you think of sackcloth? Do you know what a sackcloth is? When I think of sackcloth, I think of those potato sacks, you know, made of hessian, I think it is. Um, imagine putting that on. Oh, I feel itchy thinking about it, right? Wearing that, it would be itchy. For them, what sackcloth meant, though, in ancient times, was a garment made out of goat's hair. It sounds just as itchy. Uh, But the focus, right, that idea of putting on sackcloth, that's one of surrender. Surrender even your comfort, fast from food and drink, and focus on this God. Turn to him. Imagine that. Even your animals should put on sackcloth. Man and beast. I'm thinking about my little dog Simba right now, right? He's so naughty sometimes. And I imagine, for, you know, if I said to him, Simba, you need to turn from your wicked ways. You need to repent. Dog, you need to repent. Now, and then I dressed him up in sackcloth and made him fast from food. He looked really cute because he's always cute when I dress him up, but he'd be super miserable. Super miserable. But this was a thing. Apparently in the Middle East, this was a thing. Animals would join in these types of grieving ceremonies. They'd put on sackcloth. It was fitting because the message from this prophet is that the entire city is going to be what? Overturned. It's going to be destroyed. The entire city. What does that mean? That even man and beast, king, noble, average citizen, peasant, everyone is going to, is going to face this judgment. Isn't it fitting that everyone then, including the king, including even the animals, put on sackcloth and repent? There's a totality here. Yes, the entire city is going to be itchy, honestly, but it'll be worth it to save themselves. Here's the thing. That's not simply all that they do, is it? They aren't doing it as if it's some sort of shallow way, you know, some sort of fashion show, like paying penance for your sins by putting on sackcloth. Don't miss the details here. The actions of what they look at the king. He says, when the news came to him, he arose from his throne and he obeyed. He, re- he responded to God. There's little details here that Jonah's really clever at doing. Oh, the, the book here is really clever at, at telling us. Our English Bibles might not nuance, nuance this as well, but when you start off in chapter 1, right, if you have the English Standard Version in front of you, 
we read from the NIV, the, the New International at church, but if you have the English Standard, it's more literal. It says this. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh. What did Jonah do? He didn't arise. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the hull of a boat. The king, he hears this message from God. What does he do? By his own accord, he arose. He responded in repentance. Jonah ran, the king repented. You see, it's so much more than sackcloth. It's taking action. It's a change of heart. And the king says this, the most important part of this passage. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. You see, that's the repentance. It's more than the sackcloth. It's a change of heart. It's turning from their sin and turning to God. And I wonder if the Ninevites knew what they were actually doing here. They're not from Israel. If what we have is true, that they only were given this five-word sermon, all they're doing is what they have always done when they repent. They put on sackcloth. It was a common thing in ancient cultures. Turning from violence? Turning from evil ways? Perhaps Jonah told them more than these five words? Perhaps he was, or perhaps this generation of Ninevites just felt that was right. If we are going to burn, we should, we should change. If God is, is, is angry at us, we need our hearts to change. We need to stop being so violent. Whatever it might be, they changed. That was what repent. They surrendered in humility before God. I'm not sure, right? Uh, I'm not sure of, of, of where uh, they, they got that idea from, but what we do see is them humbling themselves. Now, it's quite interesting because what happens in history? We hear this message, right? This, this generation of Ninevites turn to God and repent. But years later, what happens? The next generation, in 722 BC, Assyria conquers Israel. And I'm sure many of those Assyrians were from the city of Nineveh. They came and they conquered Israel. Within a generation, many have already abandoned and forgotten about this God. And you follow history a bit more, and uh, it's even in our Bibles in in Nahum, one of the um, prophets in the Old Testament, he talks about how uh, Assyria, Nineveh, will be no more. A hundred years later, in 612 BC, Nineveh is completely destroyed, never to be a city again. That's why Nineveh doesn't exist today. It's, it's, it's crazy, but we have this, this story here in Jonah, this generation when Jonah goes in there and he tells them to repent, and Nineveh repented. The whole city repented. And the king says, and this is, I think this is the fault of Jonah here, the king says, without any certainty, he says, who knows, verse 9, who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Ninevites didn't know what they were doing. Jonah didn't give them much information. They were so unsure. But they did what they felt was a surrender in humility before God. They repented, hoping that God might relent. And isn't that what he does? God relents because the people repent. And I love that when you step back, what you see in Jonah, you see these parallels with chapter 1 and chapter 3. Chapter 1, what happens? There are these pagan sailors, people who don't believe in God. And they see this great storm come upon the sh- their ship. And we hear in chapter 3, we, we see pagan Nineveh, and they hear this message that they're going to be destroyed too. <laughs> and what happens in chapter 3, the king, the leader of the Ninevites, that he fears the power of God. In chapter 1, the captain of the ship, he fears the power of God. They don't know whether they'll be saved. They throw Jonah overboard. In chapter 1, they cry out, God, please don't let us die for doing this. They don't know. 
the king in chapter 3, he doesn't know. In the same, he put, He's putting on his sackcloth, he's praying. I imagine he's crying out to God, God, please don't destroy us. Relent from your anger and judgment upon us. Both these foreign leaders, they are acknowledging the sovereignty of God. Mere mortals, though. They're realizing they can't twist God's arm. They can't bribe him. They can't control him. They can't simply think that by sitting in sackcloth, hoping your, hoping your clothing will win his approval. And they're aware of that. They're aware that they don't know God like Jonah does. So they sit humbly and surrender in repentance. But you know what? We do. We do know this God, and Jonah knows this God. We know the character of this God. And this God is a character, has a character, uh, one of mercy. He has a character that is one of relenting when the people repent. A holy, just God. And we see that in Jesus, don't we? Let's look at verse 10 first in Jonah chapter 3. It says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, if this isn't the definition of mercy, I don't know what is. Relenting from the punishment that they deserve. They are wicked. They are violent. They deserve judgment, destruction for their evil ways. In the same way we think of people in our culture today who do evil things and we, uh, and we know it and we know it hurts people, we think they should be condemned and judged for their actions and be punished. But there are some, in society, you know, they, they're unforgivable, they don't get mercy. But here, God in his mercy relents when he sees them repent. That's the character of our God. He should be abandoning them, he should be canceling them, not giving them the time of day. He goes out of his way, though, doesn't he? calls Jonah, this reluctant prophet, sends a storm, sends a giant fish, does what he can so that Nineveh will hear this message and and he gives them this opportunity to repent. And they do. God goes out of his way to reach Nineveh. And isn't this precisely the character of God that Jonah is presenting to us? God goes out of his way to save Jonah. He goes out of his way to save pagan sailors. He goes out of his way to save Nineveh, who don't deserve it. A God who is slow to anger, abounding in mercy. And guess what? Jonah's God is the same God who is our God. Isn't that amazing? The new atheists today, right? They'll call God this egotistical, maniacal, maniacal psychopath who was on a rampage of destruction in the Old Testament. But when we see God's heart to his people, to the nations, we see a God who is just, yes, He's just, he has every right to judge the nations because he won't tolerate evil and injustice. But at the same time, this just God is also patient. He's also merciful. And this same God is the same God of the New Testament too. The same God that we believe in here at Providence as well. In the New Testament, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says this. I don't have it on the screen. I'll just read it to you. It says this. He, God, does not want anyone to perish, perish but wants all to come to repentance. This is the heart of our God that we worship. And while Jonah doesn't seem like the best prophet, he doesn't, honestly, he doesn't deliver a very clear message to Nineveh, we do have a greater prophet with a greater message that gives us a greater confidence on how we can be saved by our great God. His name is Jesus. More than just a prophet, he's the son of God who came to our world to bring the word of God to us. The message isn't in 40 days or 40 years you'll burn. No, the message is come to him in faith. Believe in him and you shall be saved. You see, people during the time of Jesus found it so hard to even do that. They wanted signs to prove that he was the Messiah and Savior. 
They harassed him for it. And when they kept harassing Jesus, he said this in Matthew chapter 12. I read this last week, actually. I'm going to read it again. From verse 39 to 41. Actually, you can turn with me to that. Matthew 12. Let's read it together because this is the key place where we hear Jesus talking about Nineveh and Jonah. Chapter 12, verse 39. Matthew 12, 39 to 41. That's what I'm going to read. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something is greater than Jonah is here. The greater one has come. We know his name. His name is Jesus. He is the one who reveals to us the character of God. We can have a confidence that the king of Nineveh didn't have. He didn't have that confidence. We can say God will show us mercy. He will relent when I repent of my sin. I know that because he loves me and he's revealed that to me when he sent his son Jesus to die for me. We have a God who has relented, but you know what? He relents. He's only able to relent because someone else paid the cost for our sin. He relents from judgment and destroying us because by his mercy and his grace as well, he put his son Jesus on the cross in our place. Jesus received the punishment we deserve for our sin. He experienced the hell we were destined for. He is the one that we have to thank and humble ourselves before because he's the one who wore the sackcloth and ashes for us. He, in his humility and perfect obedience, heard God's word. He arose from his throne. He stepped into our world, lowered himself to die and pay for our sins, the sins of humankind. He is the reason why we get mercy. He is the reason why we receive forgiveness in our repentance. And that's what he requires of us when we come before God. God isn't asking you to put on sackcloth. Feel free to wear it if you want to church on it, yeah? But God wants our hearts. He wants our hearts to turn away from our self-centeredness and instead to put Him at the center. To turn away from putting our, what are our idols? Our, our careers, our status, our very selves on the altar of worship, but to turn to Him in worship because He is God. He calls our hearts to repent. That's what our faith in action looks like. You can go ahead and live life believing in God. You can go ahead believing that he exists. But if your faith in this God doesn't result in action, in repentance, if you cruise through life not putting to death your sin and seeking to be more holy like Jesus, then tell me, do you truly know who your God is? Do you know what mercy that mercy is offered, that he requires our hearts to turn to him in repentance and change? Even the king of Nineveh knew that that he has to change if God is going to relent. But here's what I'm concerned about, about for many of us, for, for, for Christians today. We hear the message of grace and love. That salvation is offered and given freely, which is true, so true. But we take it and we go on living as if nothing's changed. Yeah, sure, we have this hope of heaven now. Yes, we have a God who we can pray to. We can go to church. We can have a community at New Friends. But our hearts are still the same. Still selfish, still self-absorbed, still self-seeking, still bitter, still impatient, still greedy, still unloving, still entitled. 
We know we've received grace and mercy and forgiveness. We hear it every week. We hear about the gospel, but we take it for granted. We hear God loves you so much, and we play that on repeat. God loves me so much. God loves me so much. God loves me so much. And that message becomes one about us then. Oh, wow, God, I, I must be good because God loves me. How deserving we are. And it breeds this entitlement. It's so interesting about entitlement, eh? When you think about, you know, the boomers, the last generation, they say Gen X are entitled, then Gen X say millennials are entitled. You know, every generation has a sense of entitlement. Even the Christian and the religious. We tell ourselves, well, God should love me. Look at me. Come on, look at me. Why wouldn't God love me? And so we think in our sin, oh, well, I sinned today. God will forgive me. He always does. And we keep on going with sin. We take it for granted and we cheapen God's grace and God's mercy. You know, it's the whole, it's the whole warfare idea. If, if a soldier gave mercy to another soldier but then walked away and that soldier stabbed him in the back. That's what we do when we cheapen God's mercy for us. God calls us to look to him. The one who loves you, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Let's not cheapen Christ's sacrifice. It came at a cost. Just like the men of Nineveh and Jonah's generation, let us turn to God with hearts of change and hearts of faith. Not guessing, but confident that we have a God who will relent when people repent. That's good news. In a world that is so relentless in cancelling others and passing judgment, we can know a God who gives us mercy and forgiveness for our wrongs. How good is that? There is redemption offered. You're not too far gone. For some of us here where this information is new for you, you're not a Christian, but you're here. I'm excited for you. Uh, I hope you want to know more about this. It's uh, The first time hearing about a God of mercy, wow. I remember that first time. It's amazing. And I hope that you're excited. I hope you realize that God has brought you here today. He wants you to hear about this message, about his character, and he calls you to repent as well. And before you get triggered by that word repentance, I know that triggers some people, like you think of Christians who Bible bash, who are judgy and bring the message that seems more offensive than loving. Today I invite you to get to know this God as he shares about himself in the Bible. He is a God of mercy, a God of love. When we turn to him, surrender in humility. And he's worthy of that. And that invitation is for you if you have not yet given your life to Christ. What will it mean to repent? Well, let's put it in concrete terms. It begins with the awareness and depth of our sin. And coming before God and saying sorry, asking for forgiveness, making it our resolution to turn from sin to God. See, repentance happens at the start of our journey, our faith journey, but it continues each day because sin just doesn't magically vanish. We will struggle. We'll have to fight sin daily, which means we'll have to come before the cross in repentance daily. The Christian in the room, we know that, don't we? We're all on that journey, daily repentance and turning to God in obedience. We can only do that, though, when we have the cross of Christ in front of us. When we gaze upon the cross of Jesus, we see the one who is worthy of our obedience, worthy of our faith. When we see the cross of Christ, we know the unrelenting mercy and grace that he gives us. And we recognize that grace is in You know, I think of what it would be like living in Jonah's world, the ancient world, where cities like Nineveh were full of people who were ruthless, merciless, violent, the whole dog-eat-dog world. But then I think about our world, and it really can't be that much different. 
you know, people who are just as ruthless, just as merciless, just as self-seeking. There's very little forgiveness in our world. There's very little mercy offered. And when we hear the stories of forgiveness and mercy, we can't believe it. Those stories go viral, don't they? Because people go, wow, someone showed, showed forgiveness? That's crazy. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, and we see those memes that people share. Faith in humanity has been restored because forgiveness was shown? It's like a modern-day miracle. And I imagine as an onlooker in the time of Nineveh, right, a city turning from their wickedness and violence to become a, a people of mercy because they met the God of mercy, wouldn't you think, wow, faith in humanity has been restored? Imagine then if our city met this God of mercy too. Imagine if our city and our country and our world turned to him in repentance. A revival in our city and in their repentance, God relents. People instead of receiving the relentless, generous, uh, uh, people instead receive the relentless, generous mercy that comes from God's hand in Christ because of their repentance. What kind of city and world would that look like? Imagine living in a world like that. Would cancel culture even exist? Friends, you and I have received that mercy in Jesus. Let's move towards God in daily repentance. And let's reflect God's mercy as his people as we live out our faith here and now, as a people of mercy. So I'm going to pray. Now I'll pray words that we can all join in, but particularly if you're here today and you're not a believer and you're ready to repent, give your life to Jesus, you can pray this prayer in your heart with me. But if you're not, I'm going to pray for you anyways. So join me in prayer. Let's do that. Holy God, thank you. Thank you for showing us your character of mercy in Jonah's story. Thank you that we see and can know your mercy and grace for us at the cross and resurrection of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. We are sorry for our sin that put him there. We pray that you'll help us turn from worshipping ourselves in a life of rejecting you and instead to turn to live a life of repentance and obedience, turning to you as our God and our Saviour in worship. Help us by your Spirit to live as you've called us to live. Father, some of us here might not be ready yet, and I pray for them too. Lord, that you'll reveal yourself to them in due time, showing them the overwhelming love, grace, and mercy that we've received in Christ. I pray that you'll save them because you are a God who is patient and kind, slow to anger, and abounding in love. May you open their spiritual eyes and hearts to receive and embrace your mercy and your gracious salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.